Hey everybody and welcome to the Asking for a Parent podcast. This is our Christmas bonus episode. It's a little Christmas present for people because even since we finished the podcast recording, there's been lots of change, lots of uncertainty out there, lots of different rules and we're hearing about third surges and everything else and there is undoubtedly a lot of uncertainty and anxiety around and we just thought that we would give you something just to keep uh, track on things over Christmas so that we can keep our well-being in as optimal shape as we can. And what we also thought was important was to kind of recap on some of the aspects of what we talked about over the podcast, maybe things we touched on that maybe needed a little bit more detail. And I'm delighted that the person who's joining me on this episode today is Adam Tattersall. And Adam would know the content of what we talked about over the last 16 episodes better than anyone because he was the person who was forensically going over all the content and taking out all my ums and ahs and making it sound so uh, polished when we had it finished. Adam is here today to kind of help me to tease this stuff out and there were certain things that came across that we talked about that Adam felt, yeah, we touched on that one or two or three times, but maybe it would be a good idea to kind of tease it out a little bit more and do a little bit more explanation around it. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the man behind the scenes and you're going to hear, hear his voice for the first time. It's Adam Tattersall. Hi Coleman, how are you? I'm all right, Adam, how are you? And you might notice Adam is not a native Irish speaker uh, from that dulcet tone. He's an Australian uh, who is trapped in Ireland at the moment with travel bans and whatnot, but seems happy to do so. I think he's being well looked after here. Uh, I've, I've been here now, as you know, 20 odd years so if I'm, I'm well used to uh being trapped here and and have have been quite happily living along with my wife and and she will tell you that uh i'm not trapped i'm living a great life and, and which i am which i am just tell the listeners who do you have at home adam okay so i have my wife Anne, and i have two girls i have a nine-year-old lily and a six-year-old ellie and so They've been obviously through this whole process, having a great old time, spending loads of time with, with myself and my wife, uh, you know, enjoying what they can and taking a whole load of little things that used to be very mundane to them. They now see very exciting, you know, going to the shops, being having the ability to go to the shops and, and spend a bit of time in school with friends. And it's been interesting. I'm not looking forward to potentially going through it again, but at the end of the day, as everyone else has said, I must agree, as long as the kids get to go to school, I, I think I'm I'm pretty happy with life. And how are things in terms of the the preparations for Christmas? We, we've been preparing for a while now. My wife is a prepper. Um, when it comes to Christmas, that's been ingrained into her over a number of years. Things have been different. They're as you said, there haven't been as many Santa visits as what we would normally have. Santa would have been a couple of different places at a couple of different times. Uh, we've been using uh, apps to sort of help to assist um, Santa communication. You know, we've FaceTimed with Santa. We did a um, YouTube live session with uh, Mrs. Claus the other day. So we've been doing different and alternative methods of, of communicating with the big people, the important people at the time. And quite frankly, I think the girls have enjoyed it. They did a little car journey, you know, to go see Santa the other week. They thought that was brilliant. Variation for them. 
you know, it's it's amazing how what we think is like a substandard activity, just because it's different to them, is all exciting, all new, and and it really does it makes you realize that maybe we are overthinking some of these types of events. For sure. And in terms of you've journeyed with uh, me over the last 16 episodes and we've gone through all of the the material and content and had some wonderful conversations throughout that time. There were things that you pointed out to me that we could maybe expand on a little bit. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I guess part of this came down to obviously the people in my neighborhood all of a sudden discovered that I was doing this type of stuff with yourself. So I was all of a sudden the the center of attention for parenting activities, which, which I find myself maybe as a male a little bit unusual. I, I don't do too many um, pickups and drop-offs from school. But all of a sudden, yeah, I had people asking me all sorts of things. And one of the things that I've had a few questions on was this four to seven rule. You've mentioned it a few times while we've been having these discussions, but I I felt like there was a little bit left behind, perhaps a little bit not quite explained for everybody else. I got an update, but I think it'd be really nice just as a as a Christmas, like you said, bonus for us to go through that as a as a little extra piece. Sure, the four to seven rule principle whatever you want to do it I, I probably principle is probably better than rule but if we think about it this came from my experience i've been working in child psychiatry for 25 years and so you see trends of change and i was uh, on reflection i think in the last half decade five years maybe i've never seen more anxious children and by definition of seeing anxious children i've also never seen more anxious parents And there was just something that I was intrigued about, that there was something culturally or socially that was inherently mentally unhealthy. And when I tried to look at that and explore that, and, you know, people would say, you know, there's incidences of over-parenting or that we're helicopter pairing, snowplow parenting, or that there's technology and social media, and this is to blame for the crisis of resilience and the issues with... Because never before have we had more services, awareness, and never have we talked about mental health more than we do now, yet never have we had more problems. And so the issue was, I tried to to think about why that was. Why was it that for some reason, culturally, we were struggling? And it became kind of clear to me that there was something about a culture of excess that we were really kind of taking out everything, every answer to questions that I was getting was your child is dysregulated, emotionally dysregulated. And this word dysregulated was becoming kind of kind of a rote answer to most issues, but it actually was. The core issue was that people were dysregulated. They were doing either something far too much and other things far too little, or they were placing importance on something far too much or far too little. And the idea was, how can we encourage regulation. And I had this idea of like a dial of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, where one is very little, we do very little, and ten is kind of high octane doing it loads. And I tried to use that visual to try and explain what I what I wanted parents to try and do to help their children become more regulated. And I said, you know, if they're in one, two, three, which is they're doing very little of something, or they're eight, nine, ten. That tends to be where they run into problems. So it became clear to me that actually four to seven is where we should aim to be. And the idea that we are 
it's why is it harder to be in four to seven now than it was before? And I think it's because of culture. I think there is uh, we celebrate excess. We normalize excess from the point of view of even if you hear things like binge watch, all you can eat data, unlimited. These are kind of phrases that have come a part of our narrative that just because it's said and it's normative doesn't mean it's normal and it doesn't mean it's right. But we get taken by it. We get taken into the narrative of if everyone else is doing it, then it must be okay. And the issue around emotionality was that children were becoming highly emotional about what I would perceive as little things. They were overly, they're disproportionately reacting to things. And some of the things that I would have thought that they should do to maintain health and well-being, they weren't doing enough of. So what I was seeing was that people who were coming to me with difficulties tended to be in the one, two, three, or the eight, nine, ten. And so for me, there was something in it that, in actual fact, what we need to do is we need to, we need to have a race to the middle. The children who were managing four to seven, the parents who were in that four to seven, who were moderate, were taking things kind of with a degree of equilibrium or balance, were the ones who were managing better than the ones who weren't. And so when I developed the four to seven principle, it I just began to borrow it for my own life, Adam, to be honest. I began thinking, gosh, there's things I'm doing here is eight, nine, ten, and there's things I'm not doing enough of, and it's mm. one, two, three. And so I be it became, a, it's an aspirational model that it doesn't mean that we stay in four to seven all the time. That would never be possible. There are times when we will be brought into the eight, nine, ten, or that we will be kind of deflated into the one, two, three, but we need to get out of it and back into four to seven. And so, you know, one of the things I would say is that what we really need is to build up our coping skills to manage things and to cope is to return to that balance, to that equilibrium. And it's an old kind of adage that, you know, the key to mental health is moderation, moderation, moderation. But it actually is true. Just because it's simple uh, doesn't mean that it's easy to do because I think the world and our culture and our society and our expectations drive us into the extremes all the time. And I think there's a wider cultural narrative where we've become much more polarized and we're, you know, you're either left or you're right. You have to pick a lane, you have to be. And the more you're this way, the more you're that way. And we're kind of encouraging a huge amount of emotional expression, but we're not encouraging a lot of emotional intelligence. And the emotional intelligence is something in the middle. It's about spotting in myself when I'm going too much or too little. It's almost having a an insight into being able to read the room, but also being able to read myself. I think from the point of view of if we were better at that and if we became more conscious of that. And the four to seven is really about bringing something into consciousness. It's something, mm -hmm. it's to give it a visual and children oftentimes do better when you explain something through metaphor or through a visual or something to remind them of it. It tends to make the behaviors better. And so in an, in an attempt to do that, I always use the example of when I'm driving along and I see all the, the speed limits, you know the speed limits are 50 or whatever it might be, but it's not consciously in your mind when you're driving. Whereas if you come to, you know, those signs, the digital ones where they, they kind of take your speed and they feed it back to you and say, you're now doing 55 in a 50. I think that helps us to kind of just take stock and it hits a chord inside of us that makes it, it just brings it into consciousness when we have that feedback. And so the purpose of 
the four to seven visual or that visual of the dial or using the numbers was to act as that mirror that we hold up to ourselves to see where am I now? Am I one, two, three, eight, nine, ten, or am I in the in the four to seven? And if I'm in the eight, nine, ten, I need to make it back. And if I'm in the one, two, three, I need to make it up. I believe that in times like this, where there is so much uncertainty, and these are extreme times that we're living in. It's extreme isolation. It's extreme anxiety. It's extreme unknowns. That encourages us to behave, respond, and react in extreme ways. And I'm just not entirely sure that's best for us. So although, you know, the urge might be to eight, nine, ten in terms of COVID anxiety or one, two, three in terms of social interaction, we need to mind ourselves and have, I suppose, an awareness that in actual fact, the extremes are not where we need to be. We need to be somewhere in the middle. And although we live in extreme times, we don't have to act and react in extreme ways, if that makes sense. It does, actually. Like, I'm just thinking, so over the weekend, uh, we all sat around the kitchen table and we played a game of children's Monopoly. So it's a lighter version. There's not as many rules. It's an easier game to play. But I had my nine-year-old sitting there sort of pumping a fist and super excited that she'd rolled or someone else had rolled, uh, you know, a four, which then landed them on, on her square. So they were going to have to pay her $8. And I had my six-year-old who was all, you know, she was the one having to move over the $8 and was then down to her last dollar. So she was getting upset. And so you had literally what you're talking about there, one sort of to the extreme and, and not sort of paying attention to what it was doing for something that was meant to be relatively fun and and so we had a little like oh look at your sister there she's she's not really sort of taking it as as nicely as what you are because you've you sort of ripped the last eight dollars out of her hands is is there something you know like maybe we we look at that and we try to and as monopoly does there was a role reversal five minutes later when all of a sudden the older one is now sitting there going well i've only i've got no money left um and, and starting to get a little bit teary and and she's sort of like going Right, okay. Again, it just proves a point for me that all Monopoly games, I think, were developed by the devil just to incite, uh, you know, violence and, and hurtful thoughts to other family members that you, you play with. But it was just interesting to watch because you had this sort of discussion between what's good, what's bad. And, and I can understand it's fine for them to be there for a little while and to, to be a little bit sort of impressed with themselves that they've gone through and done something. But they then need to be able to sort of click back into it you know it's only meant to be a bit of fun we're not meant to this this isn't real money you're playing for let's sort of weigh everything up here and let's try to get ourselves maybe where we're sort of you know patting our sister on the shoulder and saying look i'm sure you'll you know you'll roll something and get past me or i'll i'll roll something terrible and land on yours and and get the money back to me i like that four to seven what i find though maybe a little bit like yourself is I've started to use that in my own world as well. So I find myself having to look at the things that I do. And again, I'll have been working away all day. I've then come home. I'm sitting there. I've got the laptop open at seven o'clock at night and I'm trying to complete an email. I'm trying to do something. You know, my wife's still in work. So it's just myself looking after and the the kids are at me. Uh, Can I have an apple juice? Apple juice, apple juice. And so five five minutes later they're still sort of requesting that apple juice and I blow up at them that's where I realize I've sort of allowed my activity in my own time to then be encroached by work 
but that's because I've done that and I'm trying to do something quickly. My response to their requests is then at a at a higher level than what it should be. And that's not fair. And I've found myself, thanks to you, um, apologizing to my children, which is still very rare. I, I don't know how many times my parents ever apologized to me. <laughs> and yeah. you're done fine. Oh, oh, definitely. <laughs> I do live on the other side of the world from them. I'm going to let you just know there. Uh, but I, I find that ability now to take stock of where I am, uh, look at my mental well-being or my emotions. I, I just think it's a, it's a really interesting concept. I like this idea that we can all use it, actually, and it's not just for the benefit of our kids. And I, I think it's a, it's important to know that there's a there's a consequence to the eight, nine, ten, which is the one, two, three, which is exactly what you've articulated. So the more you invest in something emotionally, the more importance and intensity you bring to it, the more vulnerable you are to disappointment and to it having a an emotional cost if it doesn't go to plan. And so where your expectations place something really important and you're kind of it's high intensity, it has to work out, you're really kind of invested in this you're vulnerable because if it doesn't go to plan, like say you're planning the perfect Christmas and you're Mm. saying this is going to be the best Christmas ever and you place such perfectionistic expectations on it, when you do burn the turkey or when something doesn't go right, then you're screaming and saying, this is not magical. Why is this not magical? And it was almost that the expectation of it to be magical creates the likelihood of it not being so. And so... But you make another good point, and I think this is important, Adam, because people have been working at home and there's been, we've largely gone through a 10-month period where structure has gone out the window. That's where four to seven is actually more important than ever, because with less structure comes less boundaries. So you are more likely to be answering work emails at half nine at night when you're not in work from nine to five. If you're not on site, you're more likely to answer them. And so with the way in which our world has been, we're more dysregulated than ever before. And we go from, you know, baking banana bread and thinking lockdown is the greatest thing in the world. I've got in touch with myself and I've learned mindfulness. And, you know, I can now uh, speak four words in Portuguese or whatever it might be. Or play the ukulele. Or play the ukulele. Well done for you. Um, But also then uh, you can kind of go, as I say, kind of curled up in the fetal position in the kitchen thinking I can't cope with this. This is unbelievable. So, The idea is that, you know, and I always remember sports people say, you know, never believe the hype when they hype you up, but then you won't believe the detractors when they take you apart. And it's Mm. something about that sports mentality or that psychology that we can borrow in that, you know, things we and absolutely it's okay to indulge to get into the eight, nine, tens, but to acknowledge that it is momentary and it won't last forever. You know, and I think when when I used to do a, a group with transition year students and I used to say to them, you know, what does mental well-being mean? And they say, most of them would say being happy. And I would say, okay, well, what does happy look like? And they'd describe it as kind of bent over laughing, you know, hysterically. And I would say, well, how much of your life do you think you should spend that way? A majority of them would say between 70 and 90%. The reality is we probably spend less than 1% of our lives that way. And if you expect it to be there 90% and it's only 1%, then 89% of the time you're feeling disenfranchised or that you're missing out on something. And so the idea is that we keep our expectations, our desires and our drives within, I suppose, a, a reality context and and not allow our expectations to 
to lose the run of ourselves. But I think where we live at the moment and what is culturally important is that we are driven to have more expectations. Never be bored. Never fail. Never have disappointment. Never have pain. You know, so you get your video and it's like, six minute abs or whatever the case may be then you get another video coming out next week that says four minute abs you know you can powder season well we'll get rid of your headache in three minutes we'll add anodin we'll get rid of it in two and so this kind of drive that we should never be uncomfortable but tolerating discomfort tolerating boredom learning to self-entertain all of those are really important skills for us to learn and if we don't have an opportunity to learn them and i would always go back to the idea of my children learning to wait. You know, waiting is not an innate skill. It is something you learn to do. And I don't think my children have gotten an awful lot of opportunity to learn to wait because things are so quick. And the other thing I would say is that maybe we have become a a society that has become very focused on gratification uh, and not so much on fulfillment. So the idea of gratification is press that, get that. It's something kind of instantaneous, whereas fulfillment is something that we work at. And, you know, I could go to the gym today for nine hours and work out for nine hours straight. I will look no different afterwards than I went in. However, if I went to the gym for 20 minutes, three times a week for six months, then I would look different. And so from the idea of something that is fulfilling isn't always gratifying and something that's gratifying isn't always fulfilling. And I wonder if we are being sold an idea of of gratification focus, that we're very much focused on outcome, not so much on effort, very much focused on the result, not the process. And I wonder, and maybe this is going to sound, uh, people are maybe going to roll their eyes, but maybe through the last 10 months, have we gotten a new appreciation of fulfillment? Have we got a new appreciation of that gratification isn't all it's cracked up to be because I think probably gratification hasn't been as easy for us to achieve from that point of view. But it is a return to the middle. It's a return to meaning. And it's really trying to not sweat the small stuff. And I do believe that being resilient and being strong or robust isn't about having kind of a string of adverse experiences and trauma and you know walking to school with a cold bag of coal in your back with no shoes that's not what makes you resilient being resilient is about being able to put things in proportion and react proportionately to them so it's uh, really important that we don't over or under react to things but it's all very much linked to activities of daily living and I know we've spoken about this before in terms of we are all biological, psychological, and social beings. And sometimes the biology is really important. And so if we're looking at four to seven, look at your sleep. How much sleep do you get? If your sleep is seven hours a night or whatever, then you're in that four to seven. Mm -hmm. If you're up till, you know, 4 a.m. watching Netflix and then up at six for work and getting two hours sleep, your sleep is one, two, three. It's not enough. But if you're, you know, going to bed at 4 a.m. and not getting up until 8 8 p.m. the following day, and you're sleeping your life away, then your sleep is up around the 8, 9, 10. And that's not good for you either. And so, you know, we say about food, you know, there's no such thing as good and bad food. There's only good and bad amounts of it. Do you know what I mean? And so oh yeah, the idea that, you know, I, I would also say, you know, in terms of, you know, there was a documentary some years ago, the Super Size Me thing, you know, where there was people yeah. just at McDonald's every meal for 30 days and they took bloods and everything else. I speak speaking to very kind of highly qualified nutritionists and they would say, well, Coleman, if you ate nothing but apples Mm. for 30 days, your bloods would equally be as 
you know, in, in bad state from the point yeah. of view of, so it's not, it, the moderation is about variation and difference and getting things into that balance as opposed mm. to it just being all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. Yeah. And it, again, trying to find that middle ground biologically, psychologically and socially is really, really important. Yeah, and, and I guess the food one's a really good place to start. We're all coming up to Christmas time. I, I know we had a discussion with the the in-laws the other day. We're, we're planning to go there for Christmas, as we have done in previous years. We'll all be social distanced and whatever else. The concept of writing the menu now, we've actually been doing that for a couple of years. We'll sit down, we'll talk about it, as a, discuss it as a group and go, right, you know, what is the, the one thing that you really love? Right, we'll put that on the list. But then we make sure that there's only four or five vegetables. There doesn't need to be 22. You know, there doesn't need to be five different types of uh, starters and desserts. You know, I know there will be, you know, a trifle and, and it will be called Adam's trifle. And, and thank you very much, Eileen. I do appreciate it. What I also need to learn from that trifle is that I don't have to eat my body weight in trifle that afternoon. I don't have to go for the second or third helping. It will be there another day or it, it can be shared out between others. They are allowed to eat it as well. It's this concept that for one day a year we eat to excess. I do find it a little bit strange, I, I must admit. In in Australia, the the concept for a Christmas for for my family, my growing up, was we would go downstairs and we would open up Christmas presents. Um, I have one sister who is 12 years younger than me. So I feel like I grew up as an only child and then I moved to New Zealand when I was 17. So she essentially grew up as an only child as well. So our Christmas was always very quiet. We would go downstairs, we would have chicken wings for breakfast and lunch would be seafood prawns and oysters uh, because you've got to remember it's you know 30 odd degrees and that was it you had two things you know it was it was literally you know prawns and oysters and, and maybe a bit of salmon but that's all you sort of had for lunch that was all you you needed no one else ever got invited to any Christmas day that I can ever remember and we visited no one uh, whereas previous years here we run around and visit you know, groups of people that we've potentially not seen in 12 months and we try to pack so much into the day. My kids don't almost get to see their Christmas presents. So this year, actually, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward where a lot of that's greatly reduced. Uh, and then talking to a friend of mine, she lives in London. So what was her Christmas with her three boys and husband is now they've converted it so that they plan to spend the whole day in their pyjamas because they're not allowed to even leave their house. So I, I think with everything the way it's going on at the moment, maybe we're paring it back a little bit, which, like you've said, isn't any harm. I think the trying to make it magical and amazing is, is really only a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and I think it is okay. I mean, there will be moments of magic. Here's the thing. We like things to be black and white. We like the clarity. And that's a return to childhood, you know, all good, all bad. And we remember our childhoods almost with a fantasy of it was all perfect or it was all dreadful. And oftentimes it was a mix of both. What we need to do is that, uh, uh, and something probably you've had to do when you moved to Ireland, is learn to accept the grey. 
right? Mm. That everything isn't black and white. That is, most things are gray. And so the more that we can tolerate the grayness of something, the easier it's going to be to manage it. And again, it is about, you know, maybe realigning your value system, realigning your expectations to, to not build yourself up for disappointment. The more perfect you want something, the more imperfect it is going to feel. It's not going to be as imperfect as that, but it's going to feel that. And so the lens with which we see the world, the way, lens in which we place importance on the world, and the, we, the lens with which we allow the world to affect us, crucially important and where the work needs to be is in the adjustment of the lens rather than the adjustment of the world and I really think that is crucially important for us to and again I think there is there's outside variables that are kind of pushing us into you know you Mm. need to have the perfect Christmas you need to go and see everyone on Christmas day you need to eat your body weight in trifle and from the point of view if it let's take the trifle incident because I think that's a good one you know if you do (laughs) If you do eat it all on Christmas Day, you don't have to eat it all again on Stevens's Day, and you don't have to eat it all on the next day. But you equally don't have to get up on Stevens's morning and say, "Right, treadmill, mm. right, I'm going to lash into drinking herbal teas and uh, water, and I'm going to run 17 miles," which mm. is where you've gone from eight, nine, ten down to one, two, three, because that's not going to work. So Stevens's yeah. night, you're going to sit there and have a celebration and, you know, literally a sweet and yes, go, I'm, yeah. I've just failed my expectation around my yeah. herbal tea and I'm, I've lost it all and it's all rubbish. And so the idea is to allow the trifle to happen. Everyone's going to hit 8, 9, 10. That is not mm. necessary. It's not to avoid that, but it is not to expect to stay in it, to come back to the 4 to 7. And yeah. that allows the grayness to exist. Gray is 4 to 7. And gray is where 90% of our lives are. 10% are blacks and whites and and are up and top and down at the bottom. But we need to be able to almost value the gray. The gray is where we need to be. Yeah. And and I think, again, going back to that, I I look at my wife will tell you I'll jump on the scales. I'll look at a number. I won't be pleased with it. And so the next day she comes home and... I'm there eating, you know, frozen water or, you know, sucking up as much air as I can because that's all I'm going to eat for the next two weeks now so I can so I can get those numbers on the scales looking a little bit better. That lasts all of maybe two or three days because I've also affected my physical well-being. I'm I'm exhausted. I'm I'm not sleeping well. I I'm sort of hungry all the time. I'm cranky watching, you know, making the kids sandwiches and you're looking at the 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 crusts that you you've they've got on their bread going, I oh, just have a few bits of that. And so you find yourself, yeah, you you break into those those crusts and you have that and the next minute you're like you're raiding their Halloween candy. Uh it's it's that commonality, you know, you have Halloween candy, you have Easter candy, you have Christmas chocolates. There's all sorts of goodies hidden away in the back of presses, in the back of cupboards. All of that made me realise I swing from one to three or seven to eight with that physical fitness, with that sort of belief that I need to be, you know, in these areas. And like you've said, it's not sustainable. I can't live in that world because... I also have to project a certain amount to my my children. If they sat there and they watched me eat, you know, one lean chicken breast with nothing else on it and that was all I had for dinner, they'd look at me and go, well, I'm eating vegetables or I'm eating this and that and I've got a sweet for dessert. Why aren't you eating that? And 
I do realize I have to show them just as much as what I do because that's the example that they'll take on in, in later life. And they'll remember the fact that, oh, you know, dad only ate one grain of rice that day. Maybe that's what I should do. If I want to get my weight down, if I want to manage this and I want to manage that. And, and obviously being girls, mm. I'm, I'm more concerned about that girls seem to have enough activity or dramas going on in in far as what they see anyway so I'd hate for that to be seen in the home life as well so I've realized I need to manage my four to seven I need to manage my sleep I've you know got my little smartwatch it tells me how much sleep I have been doing and when I first got it I started to actually consciously pay attention to what it was telling me for sleep and it was coming back and saying yeah four or five hours a night that's below par. That's not a good number to be getting. And of course you are cranky the next day. Of course you are potentially actually overeating. There's a whole, like it, it snowballed into all these different activities, but more importantly, I was just, I wasn't feeling like I was in a, a state to be dealing with all sorts of different things. And, you know, having that watch just tell me the basics. And while the four to seven sounds so simple, I think actually it's really important to understand that it's a basic principle, but all principles are basic when you break them down. And to live in that, I don't like the word gray. I think I could have to pick another another color. But to be in that area, that four to seven is a nice, it's a nice comfortable space to live in. And I think being able to manage those so that we spend more time in the four to seven than the, the one to three or eight to nine. I, I think especially now going on as we're looking like we're going into a third lockdown will be really important because I don't know about anyone else, but the other week or the other day when I sat there and I saw the news about there's a variant in the, the strain and that it's doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things and it, you know, is it here, is it not here? I easily dipped into the three you know possibly two there going all right where I, I don't even know where I thought we were at least you know even keel but clearly we're not we're back to unknown zone again now so having that ability to think about it for a little while go right okay do a little bit of investigating for myself now I have a bit more information I can put myself back into that four or five zone where at least I feel when there's information that I see it, that I have some idea of of where that's going to potentially take us um, over the next couple of months. And I think, Adam, you hit on an important point about that you are in control of your own reactions. Do you know what I mean? We're not in control of what the world... Like, two weeks ago, we heard about vaccines. So we're all mm. delighted, and Pfizer's vaccine, you know, holidays are coming, here we go. That's brilliant. Mm. Then this week, we hear about new strains and mutations of viruses and that it might be more contagious and all that sort of stuff. And so we're brought back into the one, two, three. And again, so the experience is flipping the dial for us, but we have to manage our own dial. The idea that technology is good or is it bad? Well, if your smartwatch tells you to stand up when you're working from home and take a walk, that's a really good use of, of mm. technology. It's reminding you to do something. Whereas if you're looking at Instagram and all the perfect Christmases and going, right, I'm going to make mine exactly like that. We're all getting Christmas jumpers and we're going to roast marshmallows and we're going to have a family photo for this. Then it's a bad use of technology because you're allowing it to impact on you, if that makes sense. So the dial will flip on the outside. The world will bring us to one, nine, one two, threes, eight, nine, tens. But it is our own. And this is the thing that we forget. We are controlling our own dial. We mm. control the intensity to which we allow these things to affect us. And so it is about 
taking back a bit of ownership over your own reactions and responses and believing in your own ability. Remember, we go back to the anxious person. We overestimate the challenge and underestimate our own ability. And it is uh, just over the next few weeks, which are going to be challenging and difficult for people. Don't overestimate the challenge. Yes, the challenges are huge, but by no means underestimate your own ability. We mm. all have control over how we allow things to make us feel and how they impact on us. And the lens with which we see the world is maybe what we need to adjust when we can't adjust the world outside. Does that make yeah. sense? We've all got to remember, we've already done it twice before. Mm. You know, in Ireland here, we've, we've gone through this whole process two times. So third time's a charm. Uh, you know, there's a bit of Christmas, there's a bit of holiday thrown in as well. What's what's not to like? There, this will be different from the last one as well because there is a glimmer of hope. We all know there's vaccine on the way. There, so compared to, you know, lockdown one, I remember we would be, you know, talking to different people and 90% of the conversation between the adults is, when do you think the vaccine was? A, a few betting agencies should have set up a, uh, a a tab going on that one or they could have made a fortune because some people thought it was going to be next week. Others were sort of predicting five years. We have that as, as something that's, it, it's there. We know that it can exist and rightfully so, hopefully it'll be passed out to the, the, the more at-risk groups. Uh, sooner rather than later so straight away that's we've got to take little moments of pleasure out of the fact that you know the 90 year olds in in the uh, care homes if all goes well might be able to see people again that that i think is amazing that's brilliant you know compared to what we've had and again it gets back to that point maybe we're not failing anything maybe we're surviving everything just want to say, uh, as a disclaimer, the Asking for a Parent podcast does not condone gambling in any way, shape or form. <laughs> if, any, if any of the watchdogs are listening there uh, about taking bets on vaccine dates. But from the point of view, of it is about, you know, there's another important thing, Adam, that we kind of say, when I feel better, I will do something different. Mm. And then oftentimes it's when you do something different, you feel better. It's not waiting for the world to change, but maybe trying to change your own experience of the world. And I can't emphasize that enough because I think that's what we need to hear in a time where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel all these things are happening to us, where we feel we have no influence or control over where our lives and our work lives and our family lives are going. We actually do. And it is important for us to ground ourselves in our own control, which is control over how we feel how we allow things to make us feel. And I really so think that's important. Can I, can I ask you then, because obviously we talked about this whole podcast over the summer and we talked about, you know, I, I know you would never into, you'd never even listen to a podcast. Um, so I had to explain the whole concept to you. Did, did it help? Did, were you getting to a point where you felt anxious over what you were seeing with the children? Is that what helped? Did that influence you then to sort of, take that final leap and go right let's do it yeah i think it was i i mean i struggled in lockdown i think i struggled in lockdown one and in in ways looking towards lockdown two i knew myself i needed a distraction i needed uh, an obsession and uh, asking for a parent became that obsession it became the thing that got me through it it was almost like I felt I was doing something. It was not a. It's not a selfless act. It was something that the podcast got me through this autumn for sure. And you know, it was something that 
it did come from an altruistic place where when we were getting all those numbers and those calls and emails were coming in September, October, and I was overwhelmed by it. And you said to me, look, if we're going to, if you want to get this out to the masses, this is how you do it. And it was your idea. And I, I, I obviously was nervous about it, but I'm so glad I did it. It, it. it has allowed me to get through the last couple of months. And I hope the next series will help me to get through the next one. But for sure, I mean, the struggle for me is oftentimes downtime i don't do well with not having something to do uh, i'm not i'm not i'm the not the ideal companion for a sun holiday like if you're gonna lie by a pool all day <laughs> i'm an annoyance you know uh, from the point of view because i want to be doing things and so lockdown one was really difficult for me i tried to learn a few songs in the guitar i tried to get a bit better at that but it was it wasn't really obsessing me enough it wasn't controlling my Ed energies uh, enough, uh, whereas, as you know, the effort and labor that has gone into the podcast oh, yeah. has, has, <laughs> has definitely been more effective in doing that. But yes, I think from the point of view of if we're to look at it, it was, yes, it, it, this did get me through the last two months from the point of view of grounding me, offering me something. And it also, you know, the, the idea is that when we feel rubbish about ourselves, we need to remind ourselves that we actually have a value, you know, and... Mm. The, the podcast was a lovely variable because you were getting the emails in from people saying, listen, thanks for doing this. And that mm. really helped. And, you know, I, I, I'm seeing my relationship with my kid differently when since listening mm. to them. You know, we all need that little bit of reassurance that helps us to have a better relationship with ourselves. Do you know what I mean? We see ourselves through the eyes of the other. And so I think for Christmas, if you're going to somebody say it to them this year you know you mean a lot to me you helped me a lot you were important mm. to me you are generous you're kind you're a good listener you're important because uh, that goes a long way for them that will help them it helps yeah. them to 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 gain context and uh you know a kind word goes us so far in terms of nourishing our own self-belief and if we are to do anything this year we have to improve our relationships with ourselves self-worth self-value self-belief there's three things that we really need to start to to put some prioritization on uh, and and really value because they're what's going to get us through this. And I think that's that's actually a really nice element you brought up. Like I must admit, uh, I know I would like to thank you for this behalf of I know myself, the the people in my um, little school group that we see on a, on a walk home because it's it's often a conver topic of conversation is is. Coleman's last episode, uh, the relationship that I have with my children, I undoubtedly know is so much better, so much stronger. They, I appreciate them more and they have a greater understanding of, you know, their self-worth, their their belief in themselves, their what they can do, that it's okay to not be perfect. All of those elements, I think, for for my kids and like I said, the the kids in the area, I think is is amazing to have that ability now to, you know, spend some real quality in jokey times and and things with the kids, is brilliant. I I couldn't have asked in in that regard for for anything better. So I, I do just want to say thank you on behalf of everyone else and myself included. You know, I've had you in my pocket. I've considered that, you know, well before I had kids, I knew you. I've been able to pull on your experience for so many years and 
that would get that for me that was part of why I wanted to do this podcast because I had the ability to talk to my little you know parenting genie that I had tucked away in the background there whenever I had a problem I could just call him up and I remember talking to someone one day and I said oh you know Lily's having a bit of a trouble sleeping she's overthinking a lot of stuff oh I'll, I'll have a little chat to Coleman and you know five minutes later I'd had a chat to you or whatever and you'd given me some ideas of some things and the the woman in the office was like oh Oh, all oh, right. I just thought you were going to send like the guy an email because I did. I didn't actually realize you knew him. And I'm like, yeah, I call on him whenever I need to. <laughs> and I, I think it's great now that the rest of the world, and we see that by the 30 odd countries that you now get downloaded into, have got that opportunity. And so I think that's brilliant. One thing I'd like to also thank you for is obviously the four to seven rule. And a few other little statements that you've brought up over the time. The, the fact that uh, perfect parents are like unicorns. Everything about parenting is aspirational. And I think that's a really good one. The other one that I do ask myself sometimes is, are they unwilling or are they unable? I'm lucky enough for my group, I think, to say a lot of the time they're unwilling. They just pretend they can't hear me. Uh, you know, buying a device is like buying a puppy. You'll be picking up the poo. I believe Santa will be providing or hopefully providing a device to one of the family members in my house. And so I will see how much poo I will be picking up in the near future. And sometimes what they need is not always what they want. And and I think those, if we can take those away with us and and somehow have them, I, I heard of one of the people that I talked to, they actually wrote all those statements down and put them on their fridge to remind themselves. I'm not sure if I'm that diligent a parent, but it's something that I, I might rely on later on. I don't know. Maybe you should bring out a calendar. Fridge magnets. <laughs> Fridge magnets. Perfect idea. Perfect idea. <laughs> Adam, listen, thank you very much. And I think that does kind of wrap up the season one really well. I mean, those points were core to it. And I, I want to thank you, as I have done before, for, for all your work. But I also want to thank all our guests along the way who really did contribute massively to it from all our parenting interviews to all our listeners' questions. Uh, yeah, people who partnered me on all those episodes it absolutely really was a quality that we didn't expect. But listen, thank you for that. Thank you for everything that you've done over the last couple of months. And thank you for agreeing to season two, which we will plug. <laughs> that is out in uh, mid-January, we think. We probably will be, and uh, we'll do... We were going for one episode a week and we will be hopefully getting us through kind of January, February, that side. So uh, without further ado, I want to say to everybody, have a wonderful Christmas, a safe Christmas, uh, have all the best wishes for the new year. And we will be touching base with you again in mid-January. And we really look forward to chatting to you all again. But until then, take care, stay safe and bye for now. Bye.